Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another programme. This week I wanted to talk to you about a number of things and I was looking for a focus for the programme. And there were so many things that I could have talked about that relate to leadership and relate to performance and lead to uh, relate to managing players, managing people, leading people, inspiring people, facilitating people. That I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a, what I, a, a kind of a what I've learned this week or what I've been reminded of this week, just to see if anything resonates with you. And this uh, this podcast, leader, manager, coach, is obviously all about sports mainly it's it's very specifically about football as a focus but many of the lessons and many many of the the features relate to life in general they also relate to business because as we've alluded to before the principles of success don't change whether whether you're in a field a or field b they very often are the same so the things that have resonated with me with me this week, or as Noel Blake used to say, reminders, 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 because there's an awful lot of things, aren't there? And I, and I hope you can relate to this, that come across your path and you think, oh, I knew that. Or, yeah, I've heard that before, and that's exactly like such a body told me, or that's the same as somebody told me, or that's the same as that author speaks about. And we can kind of forget about it unless we, we use it and have it in our little armory or in our tool bag. And the first thing that I was reminded of that seems to be quite big at the moment, especially in performance, is the importance of sleep. And a little bit of literature that I read talked about um, some elite athletes and the, the, it was in a magazine, it was in a Allied Health Professionals magazine. And the research, which I haven't had a chance to, to look at in detail, was talking about the fact that by increasing the number of sleep hours to 10, so 10 hours every day, how the performance of some elite swimmers had been phenomenally increased. Now, this research isn't something that's backed up by by evidence that I've I've checked up, but um, it's a claim that's seriously made. And no matter what, the, the evidence is that we don't tend to get enough sleep and if we are a high performer if we are dealing with high performers we're leading managing coaching high performers then rest recovery and sleep is something that we should be certainly thinking about and certainly should be encouraging people to get sufficient amounts of especially young people especially adolescents when the demands of their physiological systems are so great because not only are they recovering and repairing from training and from education but they are actually going through strong growth cycles as well 
So adolescents in particular do, I believe, tend to need more sleep and it would make sense that that's the case. So, you know, they say that the most important alarm that you set is not the one to get up in the morning, but it's the one to go to bed. And I'm sure many of you will agree that compared to 20 or 30 years ago, the reasons to stay up late and the enticements to stay up late and not actually drop off to sleep are far, far, far in excess of what they were. It's so easy these days to go to bed with your electronic device, your mobile phone, your laptop, whatever it is you use, you play on and um, get lost in it for one, two, three, four hours. Um, and if people are doing that, you can virtually wave goodbye to high performance. Um, I think that's a, that's a categorical statement that can be backed up. And the quality of sleep is also strongly believed to be affected negatively by the use of electronic equipment prior to going to sleep. One of the great things that Brian Johnson talks about that I very much try to, to get into my own life is to have an electronic shutdown or to have a sundown where after a certain time of the day, I try and refrain from using electronic equipment, whether that's um, watching TV or certainly using mobile phones and certainly using computers. Now, believe you me, I do not anywhere near succeed in doing that because I I kind of give in to the demands that kind of surround my life sometimes. But, um, you know, there's a lot of research that says that all the successful people in the world worked extremely hard in deep focus blocks and did so in six to eight hours a day maximum. So the rest of the day does not need to be filled with, with work-based activities. Now, I know that a lot of a lot of people, and, I, and I'm one of those, don't, don't kind of focus just on one thing. So maybe in the evening when I'm doing some coaching and at other times of the day, you have other activities that require your, your strong focus attention. And it is in, you know, the later parts of the day when you are committed, if you like, to using your electronic devices for, for whatever reason. So, you know, please don't think I'm, I'm um, saying that you shouldn't do that. But all the evidence is that if you utilize them less and certainly use them less in the evening, your quality of sleep will be better. And one of the key takeaways for me was, you know, to really work, work hard on, on maximizing the hours of sleep that I get. And certainly encouraging that in the people that I, that I look after. Another lesson for me this week was, and, and a coach that I work with, working with a player, was that the performances of this particular player weren't weren't hitting the mark they hadn't can hit the mark for a number of weeks and you know we were we were racking our brains we were we were considering you know which strategies we should use and how we could help this person and um what we subsequently found out was that in this player's personal life there were some family situations going on and it was a bit a little bit of a light bulb moment it was like a light bulb going off because you you found this information out and and we looked at this person and you could almost see it mirrored in the body language and the facial expression and the performances. So the lesson there was you don't always know what the backstory is. You don't always know what the full the full story is. And Stephen Covey talks about that. In fact, it's probably the, the opening chapter, I think, in his amazing book, The Seven Principles of Highly Effective People where the guy's sitting on the train and there's a load of kids running around who are basically misbehaving and he is getting annoyed. Or the guy's getting annoyed that these kids are misbehaving. He thinks, why doesn't that adult who's with them 
control them. And then subsequently finds out that the man and his children are coming back from the hospital and they just discovered that um, the man's wife and the children's father has um, passed away and he changes his thought processes to um, from why don't those children behave to, um, you know, um, how can I help? So, yeah, by finding out what's going on and knowing a backstory and um, giving people a little bit of a, a longer leash sometimes for us to uh, to find out uh, how we can how we can help people it often paints paints a different picture and um, un- lets us helps us to understand earlier this week I um, was fortunate enough to be able to pin down one of the best sports psychologists in the industry a guy called Dan Abrahams and his interview was absolutely dynamic. I think it's been published by now, and I hope you've real got some value out of that. Dan was absolutely amazing, and um, bless him, he was worn out by the end of the interview because I, I battered him with questions so much. But he's he's a man who's got so much, so much knowledge, a vault of, of so much knowledge. He is is such a goldmine. And one of the things we talked about was coaching styles and practices, and in coaching styles we talked very much about which coaching styles were most effective and and which which worked in certain circumstances and which worked with different age groups and, and different people and this is a question that's been rolling around in my mind for an awful long time because there's a there's a lot of discussion in the industry and in a lot of industries about how to coach and what's the best way to coach and what's the best for long term growth and what's the best for young players and in Dan's wisdom he 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 came out with a balanced view and said that you know everybody has a will probably have a dominant style and that dominant style will be a reflection of your own education and your and your personality so if you're a coach if you're a leader if you're a manager you will have a a, a real strong personality style that that's that's you and by accessing that and being yourself you will feel much more comfortable yourself and and that will be you and your stamp and, and the way you deal with things you will also be guided by the people you've been mentored by and how your education has been, the people who've educated you and uh, influenced you on your journey. So they're the two strong, two of the strong components that influence how you are as a coach, a leader or a manager. And we were talking about utilising these different styles and in his wisdom, Dan said, you know, I think it's great to have a tool bag and I think it's great to have one dominant style that suits you and also is successful as a rule in your environment, i.e. if you are in a, let's say, a competitive adult results-based environment and you want to, or you, it is your um, a demand of your role to get results and you want a team to play in a certain way, then you probably need to utilise a command and directive style for the majority of the time in order to get your messages across. One, one of the the things you will not be blessed with is time to allow your players to assimilate the information, questions and answers. Although, you know, just using a direct command style may not be the answer on its own. So what Dan was saying is that, you know, you will have a, a because of the environment you're in and because of your own personality style, you will have a dominant style that you use, but it's great to 
be able to get out of your tool bag the other styles so that you can ask the questions, you can guide people, you can help them discover so that you are not just essentially a a one-trick pony. And the other thing we talked about was practice and the kind of divergent thought processes that um, if you want to improve a skill, if you want to improve a technique, if you want to improve something in your life, you take it, you isolate it, and you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice. I, you, you know, if it's if it's throwing a spear, if it's throwing a javelin, if it's throwing a cricket ball, if it's bowling a cricket ball, if it's playing badminton, if it's delivering a speech, if it's creating a product, whatever it is, if it, if it's you know addressing a golf ball, you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice, and you lay down the myelin in. You get the the interconnections in your, you know, the synapses in your brain going and, you know, you sleep well and you eat well and you practice again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You repeat, you repeat, you repeat. And that will then become an automated practice. And again, one of the great mantras that I I came across this week that I actually hadn't heard before was great people practice until they get it right absolute masters practice until they can't get it wrong and i absolutely love that so great great superstars practice until they get it right absolute masters practice until they can't get it wrong i think that's wonderful but in that arena of practice and mastery and developing the, these core skills that you have in your in your arena for your particular niche is it vital that you practice them in isolation to get that particular facet or that skill better? Or do you need to practice it in the environment that is most appropriate or most like the one you're in? So for example, if you are a footballer, do you let the game teach the player? And if you are trying to get the player to do a certain type of pass, do you create an environment or allow the game to the environment to to flow so that that player can try and perform that action within the you know within the intensity with with players pressing them with somebody's trying to get the ball off them um with a crowd etc etc or do you take them out and do you just let them practice that skill we came to the conclusion again it's not rocket science but that in order to to execute a skill we both believed that it's necessary to do it many, 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 many times. And the more times you do it, the more the body does it automatically. But if it's not done in the environment that is appropriate to the actual sport you're in or the business you're in or the arena you're in or whatever it is, then those other factors will influence you so much because you won't have been able to practice with them affecting you that the outcome will probably not as great. So the answer again, just like the coaching styles, is probably both. And it depends on the individual. It depends on the the, the, the level that the person's already at and how they are performing. So it might be that you, want, you need to take somebody out of a real life situation so that they can practice a certain level of skill without environmental factors impinging upon them and then let them back in whether that's a graded environment so you let them back in and encourage them to do that activity while those other environmental factors can impinge upon them um, so that they do recognize and do practice 
that's as near to the real life and performance that they need to do as possible. So to some of us, that might have been common sense, but um, you know, there's been an awful lot of debate about what's the best the best way to practice. And um, just like a lot of things, I don't think there's one way that's absolutely right and there's one way that's absolutely wrong. It's often a combination of, um, of things. The other thing that um, I've been reminded of this week is that there are no such things as little things. People say that all the time, don't they? You know, if your kids come up to you, if you have children and um, they can ask for something, and if they don't put those two little words at the beginning and the end, if they don't say please at the beginning and thank you at the end, which may only be 5% of the, the sentence they say or the conversation they have with you, then you probably won't feel too happy with them. And if somebody comes up to you and you have a conversation and then abruptly leaves without acknowledging you or saying goodbye or leaves with a little bit of a consternation on the face, that one little thing can leave you with a feeling that that actually is the whole impression of of the interaction. So that's what we mean when we say there's no such thing as little things. And this week in the interview with Dan, one of the things I I left out was to check the sound quality. And when I got home and checked the interview that I was so pleased with because of the information we got, I found out that the sound quality was not up to its usual standard. And that was probably, possibly because I didn't use um, headphones to check the sound quality. I just assumed that the sound quality would be as it always is, and it wasn't. So um, I then had to ask the editing team to go to work to try and get the sound quality up. Now that 10 or 20 second check out of an hour and a half interview um, is a little thing, but that little thing would have made all the difference. So um, always remember guys and girls, there's no such thing as little things. They make all all the difference. That kind of thing is how the, you know, the Sky Cycling team and Dave Brailsford went on from um, the situation where Great Britain never won a Tour de France or had never had any success for, for years and years and years in the, in the world's greatest cycle race. And then in the next, and then within two years, I think it was, won the Tour de France and then won it for the next four years out of five. Just phenomenal, a complete and utter turnaround. And Brailsford and the Sky team, he puts it down to making absolutely minuscule, incremental changes in as many places as possible so that the combined effect, the combined added up effect of all those incremental little baby steps was a big effect that made all the difference and gave Great Britain and the Sky team all that success. So uh, another example of, you know, why there are no such things as as little things. And finally, the last thing that I was reminded of this week is the power of the human mind. And I was um, reading about a guy who's convinced that the sub two hour marathon will be a real thing. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the world record for a a marathon is. Uh, I know that's you know not far off two two hours, but this guy is absolutely convinced that it won't be too long before there will be a sub two hour marathon. And he was talking about the fact that it's not the physiology, it's not the physical 
ability that's the key difference. He's totally convinced that it's the mental capacity that is the difference. And he's been talking about programming the mind so that the mind will take the body to the sub two hour marathon. And he talks about the absolute vital importance of programming the mind with one hour, 59 minutes. Because if you say, or you program the mind with sub two hours, it's the, the two hours that the mind takes on because the mind t- doesn't take on negatives. It doesn't take on such such subtleties as that. It takes on what you give it. So it's vital that you, you are really clear and give the mind absolute clarity when you're when you're giving it this, those directives. So he talked about the power of the mind, and there's lots of examples of sports performances where you know again um, this relates to Dan 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 Abrahams and his book. He talks about Paula Radcliffe when she you know went on to become the uh, the great marathon marathon champion that she was. How she came overcame pain. And overcame all the challenges she had to overcome to become the great marathon runner that she became. And it was all all essentially mental, not physical. So the power of the mind and how we how we program it and what we put into it is of absolute of absolute importance. So I thought I'd mention all those things. I, I thought I would do a kind of what what I've been reminded of this week episode, just to see if any of those resonated with you so you know if it's a question of going out there and getting getting more sleep if it's a question of going out there and um being a better listener to find out what's really going on in the lives of the people that we that we influence if it's a question of you know just taking a little bit of a step back and thinking well in my practice am i balanced enough am i using the right techniques am i using the right strategies to to affect as many people as possible and uh you know, if I'm if I'm getting frustrated, or if we're getting frustrated about our our achievements, is it just a question of just stepping back and being a bit more relaxed and just making some real small baby steps here and some baby steps there and some baby steps there, which will just all add up over time and help us to get to to get to where we want to go. And uh, last of all, are we putting into our all powerful mental computer the exact focused thing that it is that we we want and allowing our our computer to to help us to get there in a, again in a, in a relaxed and, and timely fashion. Lots of messages. Hey, maybe one day I'll get close to, to doing one or two of those or get, get, get somewhere near it, but we can all try. But uh, Okay, it's leader, manager, coach. I hope, hope that's helped. I hope there's um, one or two things in there that may have resonated with you that um, you can put into your, into your practice. All the best. And um, if you want to catch me, it's www.robriles.co.uk or I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Great to speak to you, as always. Appreciate your time. I'll catch you again. Bye-bye.